as we start looking at the Ten Commandments as they are given in Exodus chapter 20, but also as we consider them and the application of today. And we discussed as we began our series on the Ten Commandments that we are not under the Ten Commandments because that was given to the children of Israel. However, the things that are contained in the Ten Commandments, with the exception of one, are all restated in the New Testament. But I like the way that God put it so plainly, so simply, so directly to the children of Israel that as we study through this, we can appreciate how simple it is stated. I want to begin by pointing out to you that the Ten Commandments are summarized by Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And Jesus put it simply when he was asked what was the greatest commandment, how that he talked about man's relationship to God and man's relationship to man. And so he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, everything that we find in the Ten Commandments is either our loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or it is our loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, they reflect a respect for and a love for God and for one's neighbor. Now, the first four relate to one's respect to God, and we're in the third of those four. How that we respect God, we love God, and we show that in what we do. Well, obviously, from the Bible reading, you know that we're talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. And so what we're going to do is look at the meaning of this to begin. We're going to sort of just break it down word by word and analyze it. And then second of all, we're going to look at the message and how that applies in our lives today. And so it's always good to analyze Scripture. And we begin with you. And you was Israel, God's covenant people. However, when we come to the New Testament... You refers to every man. Somebody says, well, are you sure it refers to everybody or just Christians? You see, when you get to the New Testament, everybody is under the commands of God. You remember as Paul was in Acts 17 at Athens, he said the times of this ignorance God once overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. So God has an expectation that everyone should obey his laws. Now, will everybody do that? Obviously not. Shall not is a prohibition, something that one must not do. Whenever we see the words, you will not or you shall not do this, that is a prohibition that there's no wiggle room on. Take the name of the Lord. God's name is a representation of who he is. And when someone takes someone's name and they take it in vain, as we're going to talk about here in just a moment, they are using their representation of that. And for instance, when you call me Tony, I recognize who you're talking about. And so if you say something bad about Tony, you're saying something about me as a person, not just my name. So when a person 
maligns the name of God, they're maligning God because of who He is and what He is. The word vain means to no profit, to no good use. So when a person is taking the name of God in vain, they're using it in a meaningless way or sometimes in a false way. Now obviously the main idea in this is that which we speak. But it also can be the way we act. You know, for instance, I can say that I am a Christian, but I can act in such a way as I bring shame and reproach on the name. For instance, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. There are people who loudly will say, I am a child of God, but they don't live like that. God will not hold him guiltless. Now, folks, that is a phrase that I think needs to be pondered in our minds. I spoke last week, and someone came to me afterwards. I'm not going to mention who they were. But they said that bothered them all night long. Not necessarily in a sense that they felt guilty, but they thought about the implications of it. I want you to think about the implications of God will not hold him guiltless. This is something you're not going to get away with. There are some things for which God will demand that one pay the guilt. Let me illustrate that to you. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Notice now, the first part of the verse talks about God's mercy, his forgiveness, how he forgives iniquity and transgression. That's the nature of God. But if a person is guilty, God does not just wave the hand and say, Oh, that's all right. Forgiveness only comes with repentance. Forgiveness only comes when we approach God with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. But so many people want to think, well, forgiveness is God just ignores it. In Jeremiah 30 and verse 11, For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. God said, I'm not just going to somehow say that there's no consequences to your sin. It's just like when we start talking about some of these sins that David committed David got forgiveness, but David still had to suffer the consequences from them. People who misuse God's name will suffer the consequences of doing so. Now, that was really just, I guess you'd say, the introduction. That introduces what the message was. Now, let's, our meaning, let's talk about the message for just a second. And I think it's much different or much deeper than people sometimes realize. It condemns calling on the name of God to verify a lie. In other words, we're using God 
to back up what we say. Now I want to illustrate this for just a moment. Uh, I mentioned to someone this morning an incident that had occurred and where the brother Stanley walked by, I said, uh, and I'd actually told them, I said, you know, Stanley confronted this issue. And as Stanley was walking by, I said, come here just a second. I want you to, I used him as a verification. But what if I had said, Stanley said this, and Stanley didn't say that? Then I would have misused him. I would have taken his name and used it in a way that was dishonorable. Do you realize that when people tell a lie and they will promise on God's name that they're doing it, they're telling a lie and they're misusing God. Let me illustrate that to you. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 13. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. He says, I don't want you to take my name and treat it like it's common. That's what the word profane means. Now, it's one thing to throw around our names. But when you go to the Almighty and you take His name and you misuse it, that's a grievous sin. But you see, when you come to the New Testament, there are people doing that. And they're doing that as a means of trickery. In fact, they were trying to get around the full import of it by means of basically saying, well... I didn't say exactly that. Notice Matthew 22 or 23 verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater? The gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift on it is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by him, it, and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. God said you can't somehow create a little game over here where you lie and use something holy, something religious, and misuse my name. Isaiah puts it like this in Isaiah 48, verse 1. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. Now when someone goes to a court of law and they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, and you lie, you've committed two sins. The first sin is you've lied. The second sin is you have misused the name of God. In Jeremiah 5.12, they have lied about the Lord and said, It is not He, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see famine or sword or famine. You see, there were people saying that God was saying things when He didn't say it. 
And every time one of these television preachers get on the television and they will tell you, God spoke to me individually last night. God revealed this to me separate and apart from the Word. They're not godly men. They're not holy men. They're liars. They're sinners. Because God doesn't speak to people that way. The second message of it condemns profanity, cursing, and blasphemy. Now, I know that's a very broad topic. But, for instance, when I go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, verses 12 through 16, here's what we read. They put him in custody, that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take outside the camp him who has cursed, And then let all who heard him lay hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, Whoever curses God shall bear his sin and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. And the stranger as well as him who is born in the land, when he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Do you know what would happen? There would be no Hollywood, California. There wouldn't even be a vice president of the United States because he took the Lord's name in vain more than once this past week on the media. And I know that may offend some people, but it's the truth. You see, under the Old Testament, if a person did that, those who heard it would say, we heard it, you put your hand on his head, the rest of the congregation puts him to death. I guarantee you if that happened today, we would have a lot of people stop using the Lord's name in vain. When you go to the book of Ephesians, I'm taking you to the New Testament now. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And when you start looking at the distinctive characteristics of those who claim to be God's people, he said, let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the ears. No corrupt speech, no lies, no bad language. When he wrote the Colossians, very similar, not too far away, he said... But now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Will God hold people guilty who use foul, corrupt language? We sure he will. And then Matthew chapter 12. You see, here's a passage where there were people so calloused toward God and toward Jesus particularly that they would make some very serious charges. Therefore I say to you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man it will be forgiven him but he who speaks against the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, 
Speak good things, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, here's the problem, is that when foul language comes out of the mouth, it was first in the heart, first in the thoughts. And then it comes out of the mouth. And Jesus said, that's what's happening. You are a bad tree. You're giving out bad fruit. You go further. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good fruit. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I don't think I could put it any plainer than verse 36 you're going to give an account of it in the day of judgment. And so if our language is putrid, foul, ugly, profane, it needs to be corrected. Now for just a few moments, I'd like to talk to you about the respect for the divine name. You see, when we start talking about the name, and I'm trying to be very careful even in this lesson that I don't use the Lord's name in a careless, unconcerned way. Because you see, the Jews had a practice. They were so fearful that they would use the Lord's name in a way that was not respectful, that was not honorable, that they would not even speak or write the name of God in such a fashion. What they would do is the personal name of God, if you're using the Hebrews letters, would be in our English, Y-H-W-H. Now, we don't know how the vowel points would follow, but most of them believe it's Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. But sometimes pronounced, people will say Jehovah. But it means I am that I am. That God exists. That's a part of his nature. That's who he is. But when the Jews would see that, they wouldn't say that word. They would say Adonai. And the reason being so they did not speak the name of God in a flippant way. Now folks, that shows a tremendous amount of respect. Obviously, if you're going to be stoned, I think you'd want to make sure that you didn't speak the name of God in a way. But do you know today, and I've got to say some folks, I mentioned this morning in Bible class, it's amazing what you read on Facebook. Some Christians are guilty of using euphemisms, and that is where you use the name of God in a, another form to try to not be as vulgar. And I even hesitate to pronounce some of these, but the old phrase of Jim Neighbors on the uh, Gomer Pyle show, he would say, golly, that's, that's word for God. Or the acronyms. One of them that is used frequently is TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Would we want to be so little to take the name of the Almighty and to try to, to attach it to a day of the week that, oh, well, we're thankful that this is the end of the work week? Is that being respectful to God at all? And folks, they get a lot worse than that. 
I'm trying to be as respectful as I can in this lesson without even putting, planning any of this in your minds. But I'm going to tell you, I'm on Facebook, but you use any four-letter words on a post that show up on my wall, and I'm going to unfriend you. may not be able to disfellowship you, but I'm going to, I want you to understand, this is, this is sinful, this is wrong. And it deserves to be treated like that. I know that people today aren't as respectful as they ought to be. But how are we going to change that unless we teach people and say to them, this is not appropriate, this is not right, this is not good. Listen to Psalms 111, verse 9. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. His name. Holy and reverend is His name. Folks, how dare us to take anything related to God and try to bring it down and treat it as if it's common or ordinary. Just listen to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 6 and 7. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great. And your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there's none like you. That's the way we ought to treat God. Giving him the adoration and the praise and the honor and the glory that is due to his name. Now, the truth is God does want to hear his name. Don't ever think that you should never say it at all. Don't you listen to Philippians 2 and verse 11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. You see, what God wants is for us to use His name, but to use it well. To say to someone, God loves you. God wants to save you. He gave His Son to die for you. When we sing praises, hallelujah, praise Jehovah. As we sing all these songs of honor and glory, that is, as it were, a sweet aroma like the smell of the sacrifices coming up before God, and, and he loves that. He wants songs of praise to his name. In Romans chapter 15, verses 9 through 11, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. What he is saying is God's people, the children of Israel, should extol and honor God. But he said, it's not just you, it's all men. We shouldn't look at people and say, it's okay to curse in front of me. But more importantly, it's not okay to curse in front of God. 
Now, I don't know everyone's circumstance in life, but I would imagine that some of us need to apologize to the Lord. And it may be that it's not here that you need to do it. It may be that you need to apologize to the Lord for what you have done personally. But it may be that to your family with whom you live and move, you need to go home and say, I'm sorry for what I, the words I've used. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to change that. But it may be that you have taken God's name in vain and you've done so publicly and repeatedly. And you need to make a change. Now, someone says, well, it's just a part of my vocabulary now. I want to tell you something there as a personal illustration. One of the first men that I baptized after I started preaching full-time was in Vernon, Alabama. This man had visited the car lot where I grew up frequently as a young boy. And I'm going to be honest with you, he cursed like a sailor. I don't think he could speak a sentence without at least one four-letter word in it. And I remember his wife was a faithful member of the congregation where I was preaching and she asked me to visit him and I did. Went to his house and sat and talked to him. And he said, I want to become a Christian. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was afraid the water was cold at the baptistry in Vernon when he was baptized. I was afraid he'd come up from the water cursing. I mean, it was that bad. But I baptized him. And he was an older man. He hugged my neck right after. And that was sort of interesting in and of itself. But I never heard him say another cuss word for the rest of his life. And I preached his funeral about a year later. And I asked his wife. And she said he never said another cuss word, another bad word. And if a man who's spoken it for probably 70-something years, and now he becomes a Christian, he quits doing it. Don't tell me you can't quit. You can't. And it's something that needs to change in our culture. And we ought to be the salt. We ought to be the light that says, let's honor God. Let's respect Him. If you need to become a Christian by being baptized for the remission of your sins, we encourage you to do that this evening. If you're a Christian and you need to be restored, we encourage you and invite you to come as we all stand together and sing.